Welcome to Top Real Estate Secrets. I'm your host, Liz Boyce. I'm on a mission to show homeowners how to successfully sell their home on their own. I'm gonna give you the knowledge, the tools, and resources to save your family thousands of dollars. There's a new wave of tech real estate coming and it's gonna change everything. Now, if you get any value from my podcast, please like, share, and leave a comment. I wanna help as many people as I can, but I can't do that without your help. Thank you for your time and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, Kevin, to the show. I'm really excited to actually interview you. I wanted to give the viewers an opportunity to understand how you can actually sell your home without buying an, you know, or accepting a regular loan. Sure. So where do you want to start with that? You want to start with seller <laughs> financing, creative financing, because all of those really all are alternatives to the most traditional way of, of buying real estate, you know, whether right. that's for investment or for personal reasons. Uh, I think most people are hindered with this is the only way I know how to do it. And there's so much creativity. So where, where would you like to start? I know we're well, you're the boss here today. So <laughs> you have the knowledge and I don't you're right. I think people don't even know that this option is available. And so I wanted them to understand that yeah. maybe your home is sitting on the market for a little longer than it should be. And how can I sell it? What can I do to offer it to someone else that can get it and get it sold? you know, a different way. Yeah. So focusing on the sales side, I think, first of all, the perception that most people have is it's extremely difficult. Uh, there's contracts involved. So we need, we need lawyers, we need agents, we need all these people involved. When you think about it, as you know, you, you know you're, you're one of the top in, in your field in this industry. There's so many team members that you need from title companies to mortgage people, everything else. And I think the average person gets overwhelmed by that. And when they're overwhelmed, they just get the fears involved. When you break it down, it's not that difficult to sell your own home in most cases. Mm -hmm. Now, again, there's going to be obviously cases where you just don't have that uh, idea of how to market properly. Uh, you don't know how to talk with people and negotiate. So certainly there's that. But for some people, it's a great way to go on your own uh, to sell it by yourself. Because what you'll find today, especially on the legal side, is that uh, you know, there's 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 this uh, misinterpretation of we need an attorney for everything. That's all changed. Years ago, you you really did, but today all of these legal forms are templates and they're fill in the blank. I I used to on the investing side, on the purchasing side, I've done it on the sales side too. I've written contracts on the hood of a car. <laughs> you know, it, so you uh, it, it becomes less intimidating, obviously, once you start to do it more often. Oh, but correct. for people and, and with your course and everything, what you're developing, a little bit of guidance should help them uh, quite a bit on on the sales side. Yes, that's my goal is to show people how they can actually save uh, money. But you know, obviously, still working with a buyer's agent because they're going to bring the buyer. Uh, let's start out with just very basic terms. What is a note? Well, the note is the promise to pay it back. So believe it or not, if you, uh, it, there, no, we deal with notes every single day. So if I could break down to the most basic thing, a note, if you take out your, your wallet or your purse and you have a dollar bill in there, guess what? Read it. It says it's a Federal Reserve note. You know, it's a promissory note. And mm -hmm. it's backed, notes are typically backed by something. A dollar bill is backed by the full faith of the United States government, you know. Uh, so a note we deal in every day. When you write a check to somebody, you're really writing a promissory note to that person, right? So that's all a, a note is. When people buy and sell real estate, typically they're not paying cash. So if you're not paying cash, you have to borrow money. 
When you borrow money, you have to promise to pay it back, and that promise to pay it back is the note. So the note lays out the terms of how much are you borrowing, what are the monthly payments, where do you pay them, uh, what are the penalties if you're late, uh, what's the interest rate, what's the term, all of those things are outlined in the note. Now, in the real estate industry, you don't just sign a note, though you have to back that note up because right. banks and investors and mm -hmm. individuals who are selling their own homes should be smart enough to go, well, wait a minute, this person promised to pay it back. That's what a note is. But what if they break that promise? You know, if they break the promise, what are the repercussions? What are our rights uh, uh, when something like that happens? So with most people, what you'll do, of course, is you'll sign a note backed by a mortgage. So the mortgage is the security agreement for that note arrangement. So when we're selling property uh, and you're going to finance it for somebody, because that's another creative way you can do this, especially people who have homes that are free and clear. And it doesn't have to be because we can go into other avenues on that, but homes are, that are owned free and clear, just to take the easiest example, I could sell that property to you and I could finance it. I could act like the bank you make the monthly payments to me. So if I did it that way, I would create a note with you and a mortgage with you where you're promising to pay me, but if you break the promise, I have the mortgage. And the mortgage essentially says, if you don't pay, I have the right to foreclose on the property, just like a bank, because after all, in that scenario, I am the bank. So notes and mortgages are used in real estate on on the vast majority of, of tra uh, transactions, you know, all cash, there is no note, right. but everything else <laughs> involves some sort of a, a note. Yeah. Right. As far as, do you put it into uh, like a land trust or anything or not a land, but a deed trust or. Do you put the, the notes in, in, in land trust and such? Right. When or? you, so if you're start if I sell you my house mm -hmm. and I'm going to do creative financing, I sell you the note or you create the note and the, the promissory note, is that correct? Yeah, so you... um, sticking with, uh, you're, you're buying a house from, from me and I'm selling it to you. Okay. And if we, again, for now, let's just keep the fact, Super let's just say I own the house free and clear. Right, okay? yes. We can deal with mortgages and stuff later, later. Uh, as I said. But if I'm selling you that house, you and I have to come to an agreement on, on the purchase price, as always. And then in this case, if I'm going to finance it for you, we're going to have to agree upon the terms. Okay. So how much are you going to put down? What monthly payments are, are you going to be able to make for what period of time? Uh, is it going to be for five years, for 10, for 20, for, for 17? I mean, we don't have to do the whole 30-year thing. We can. Um, so we would agree upon those, those terms on the payback. And that's what would be put into the note. So notes, once again, on the forms that I talked about earlier, it's a template. So we're filling in the blank at this, you know, just like real estate forms are right, the same yeah. way, right? Sometimes I mean, the far bar contracts and all the contracts yeah. that you use in, in traditional real estate, it's, it's all the same thing. Right. So we're going to fill in the bl blanks that agree to that. And then you're going to sign that second document of the mortgage, which confirms and references the note, but then it says it has all the rights and obligations for both you and I. And then you hold the deed. Well, the deed in the case of a note and a mortgage is going to be held by the owner of the property because the okay. deed reflects the ownership. So you would be on the deed. And what I'm going to hold is the note and mortgage. Okay. Okay. Because that's what I got out of this and transaction. And let's say I default on the, the payment. Then right. you, the deed. Exactly. Gets... So if we slow the picture down, you gave me, a, let's say, a cash down, pay, down payment, check, mm -hmm. what have you. You gave me a down payment. So I'm holding that. You signed a note. You signed a mortgage saying, if I don't pay, here's what you can do. That's what I get. And what I'm doing, because I own the property, is giving the deed to you. 
So you have the ownership of the property. I'm no longer the owner. You are, but you have a, a uh, encumbrance on your property in the form of a lien, which is the mortgage, right? Okay. So I get that recorded. So now you're making monthly payments to me. So Great. basically is the exact same as regular real it, estate. You're it just is. The it bank. just, yeah, just, if you think <laughs> of it really, because it legitimately is, I'm the bank, instead of you making payments to Wells Fargo and promising them and giving them a note, I'm the bank. Okay. So you're making payments to me. Now, if you default, what I will do is enforce the security agreement that you signed, which is the mortgage. Okay. Okay. So that's where I said earlier, the rights and obligations for both you and I are in that mortgage. And what the mortgage says is, if you don't pay on time, if you go on default, I have to give you a period of time which you can correct that, right? Okay. So I'll send you a notice saying, hey, didn't get your payment because, you know, maybe it got lost. And typically how, how many payments can I be behind before you try it's to- It's about three months before I could okay. take some more serious action. So the series would be, you're late on a payment, you get a late notice. And maybe you were just late sending it in, mm -hmm. got lost in the mail, whatever. The payment arrives, no problem. If it, it doesn't arrive, now you're into 60 days, you'll probably get a, a more strongly worded letter, you know, from <laughs> saying, hey, you gotta, you know, it's time to uh, to make the payment. 90 days, <clears throat> excuse me, 90 days, you become seriously delinquent. Okay. And that's when the switch starts to go over where I start to think, how much trouble am I in? Right. You know, and then I might <clears throat> either send you a demand letter letting you know that, I have no choice but to enforce the foreclosure in that to give you one last chance. If you don't take action on that, then I'll initiate a foreclosure. Now, a foreclosure can vary nationwide from state to state. Here in Florida, it's a lengthy process. It's a judicial process. So you'll have a chance upwards of 12 months to cure that scenario by catching up on what you're, you're late on. Uh, but in the meantime, I start to take that that financial action in pursuit of the collateral, which is the house, because that's what you pledged in the mortgage. You said, if I don't pay you back, according to the note, if I don't pay you back, you have the right to foreclose on the home. That's what the mortgage does. And if you do go into foreclosure and I don't, let's say I don't cure it in the 12 months, you get the property. Is that correct? Right. So if you don't make the payments and we have to take it all the way through the foreclosure process at the foreclosure sale, which will be held down at the courthouse and they still have courthouse step auctions. And sometimes they have a room you go into and it's advertised and, and investors know what's there. What, what will happen is the, the auctioneer from the County will take a strike price from the lien holder typically. So if I'm the first position lien holder on that note, the mortgage being the lien, I will set my strike price. Okay. And I can set that as to what you owe me, plus the back payments, plus any accrued interest, penalties, and even legal fees. And I can set that as my strike price. Okay. Or I could set it lower than that. I don't have to do all that. I could do it lower. And I only mention that because different properties, different amounts, and, and, and different things you may want to do. So if I really wanted the property back, and let's say the property is worth uh, $250,000 and you owe me $200,000 on an unpaid balance, but penalties and interest puts it up to two twenty, dollars let's say, I would probably set my strike price up at the two twenty. dollars So I'd have my representative at the sale the auctioneer is going to say uh, uh, bidding on docket number one, two, three, four, opening bid. And my reps, there are going to go uh, representing the lien holder, 220000 Now, if somebody were to outbid that or bid over that to buy the property, great. 
I get cashed out at the sale. Very interesting. $220,000. Yeah. And I'm fine with that because you owed me less. You know, you have that. to go through that process. If it goes to foreclosure, that's exactly what we do. Very now, interesting. if, if I, you owed less money and the property is worth more, there might be a case where I say, man, I don't need to set it up to 220. I'm hoping somebody cashes me out at the sale. But, you know, let's face it, I, if a property's worth 250000 there's not an investor down at the courthouse that's going to pay over $220,000 right, They're not getting it. They're going there for a deal, right? right? They're not exactly. going there to, you know, pay retail price Doesn't for it. Doesn't fit my formula. <laughs> On to the next. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, and that's the exchange that we made. You know, you can't, you know, if you want to stay, you have to pay, right? If you don't pay, you can't stay. Mm -hmm. So we go through that whole legal process. And that's why, you know, when, when, when people are selling their own homes, there are certain circumstances that they're much better off financially, security, and everything else, carrying back the paper than selling the property. I and they're always worried agree. about, yeah, but what if they don't? You'll get the property back. Right. You'll get the property and back. And you make way more money. Exactly. Right. And that long. Exactly. I, you know, and uh, it can affect your taxes and, and it's, I mean, you really have to look at it, everybody, because the, the alternative, and I get it, there's an education gap, but that's part of the, what you're, what you're right, doing Right, yes. Here, yeah? That's when um, I you know, met you two years ago, and I really wanted your knowledge and your brain. Mm -hmm. And so um, you did write a book, uh, Real Estate Without Renters. Yeah. And what, can you tell me a little bit about what, you know, break down the book for me? Sure. It's my second book. Um, oh. But they were about... Uh, I don't know, 15 years apart. <laughs> but um, I wrote that one and I didn't come up with the title. I have to confess, the, the publisher came up with the title. And it's part of the uh, publishing fee that you pay when you uh, do a book through a publisher. And part of the service was, <clears throat> we have to come up with a good <clears throat> title, you know, and I'll have a team do that. And he goes, well, he goes, uh, I should probably build more value into this, but how about real estate without renters? It was the first thing I thought of, like, I love it. Because that represents what I do. As an investor, I don't buy real estate. I buy the debt on the real estate. Right. So how does that work? Well, the easiest way I can explain it is, let's say you're making your payments to Bank of America. Instead of making the payments to Bank of America, you now pay me. Okay, so I'm the bank. I didn't, you still own the property. You still maintain the property. I'm not a landlord, you know. You don't call your bank when the, the roof is leaking, right? And go, hey, Bank of America, send somebody over, right? So I'm out of that role, but I get the monthly cash flow like a landlord without all of the liability and responsibilities of a landlord. Now, again, someone's going to make the argument, well, I have a manager for that. I get it. If you've ever owned rental property, we all have property managers. Mm -hmm. I've owned rental properties as, as well, but they're going to be calling you a lot. And if you start to build up a portfolio of rentals, it becomes overburdensome at some point in time. Great way to build wealth. I'm not, I'm not anti-property rental, but there is an alternative. And I think when you examine it, you'll find that owning real estate without renters, hence the, the, mm -hmm. the title, can make a heck of a lot of sense because you're getting cash flow without the worries. And as we just discussed, if people don't pay you, the collateral is the property just like a regular, a regular bank. So that's what we do on top of that we buy notes at a discount, okay? So we can buy notes of all different calibers. You know, we talked about what the mm -hmm. note is, the promise to pay. Well, there are notes that you can buy that are 100% performing, that people pay on time every time. Uh, it's automatic deposit, you know, great. Premium quality note. But there's other notes where the people have fallen behind. And it's a non-performing note. 
And I liken that to real estate investing, which is a real estate investor doesn't go out and buy retail. You know, a real estate investor is not going to come to you as an agent and show me your new listings. Right, right. right. Reach. Anybody can do that. There's no, there's no money play in that for an investor. An investor is looking for that burdened house, you know, the troubled house in that good neighborhood so that they can buy cheaper, fix it up, and then add value to it and resell it. So when it comes to non-performing nodes, a lot of times we'll buy broken notes. We'll buy notes that the payments aren't being made on them because we can buy it at a discount, just like the house that's not in good condition. The note's not in good condition. I buy that note and I try to work with those people to get the note re-performing. Now, if the note is $100,000 and the house is worth one hundred and fifty. dollars and I can buy that note for $60,000, they owe 100. There's a lot of things that I can do that a bank is not willing or able to do. I could stretch out the loan, I could lower the payments and still make it a good investment for myself. So we help a lot of people out in those type of notes where the banks are just, they just go right you know, towards a foreclosure and that sort of thing, where we can really work with people. So if I can take a note, just like a property and renovate that note, get that note working again, I've increased the value and I can either keep that just like I could keep the real estate or I could sell that note for a premium because I've taken it from not working to working. If someone wanted to learn how to do creative financing or seller financing, are those two the same before I go into the next question? Creative financing and seller financing. I I believe they would be by definition because seller financing is creative. And I guess by definition, creative is doing anything out of the normal Everyday cookie cutter, down payment, get a bank loan, you know, type of transaction. Thanks for clarifying that because I do read it and then you're right by definition. Absolutely. If someone wanted to learn how to make a note, create a note, uh, where where would they go? What what are the steps? Well, I would say start with my book. I agree. (laughs) Go to Kevin, not me. I know that. (laughs) Yeah. You can get my book online on Amazon and, uh, you know, just Amazon. You can look up my name, Kevin Shortell or Real Estate Without Renters and you'll find it. I I don't know. It's 20 bucks. And his podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I got podcasts out there and social media and all that. But I would say start there because it does give you a, a very good overview of, and, and I guess it's more of an overview. You, you read it. I right, mean, it yes. goes into pretty good detail on the math it. side, on the story side and everything else. So that would give you a good indicator. And then if you need additional help, you know, and, 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 or you see something you're really attracted to and say, Hey, I want to do that. Um, then contact me and you can do it, you know, through the book. And, and I help people on a daily basis. That, that's what I do. Right. I, I, I teach people how to do what I've been doing for over 30 years. And then just to not get too much into the numbers, but for, and always correct me if I'm wrong, because what I've read is that if you create a note, uh, you can get someone in your home that's paying eight, nine percent, because most of the time the people that are going to buy the home, maybe they couldn't get a traditional loan. Sure. So going back to selling your your own home uh, with creative financing. And yes, if if we're doing a loan for somebody it typically means that they can't get a bank loan. Not always, because I've certainly done seller financing to people that absolutely could qualify for a bank loan, but they choose not to. Or they're investors that they just can't go to the bank anymore and get any more money because the banks start to look at things a lot differently. So they they choose seller financing over, over bank loan. But in some cases, probably the majority, 
most people who get involved in seller financing can't get a bank loan. Now, it's not always because of credit. Um, sometimes it's debt to income ratios. Um, sometimes it's they don't have enough of a down payment. You know, so there's a variety of, of reasons. And because of those reasons, I always looked at it this way, make it simple. If somebody could afford a bank loan and bank interest rates were at 2%, which are not anymore, as you know, <laughs> right. but if they were at 2% and they could get a bank loan, get a bank loan, 100%, get a bank loan. But if they can't get a bank loan, there's a reason. And the reason is they don't qualify for the bank loan. So why would I give them a bank rate when they don't qualify for a bank rate? You follow me? So seller financing has always been a higher interest rate than bank loans have been. It's the gap is squeezing right now as we record this because right, traditional yes. bank loans now are six, seven percent yeah. and seller financing traditionally eight, nine percent. So it's definitely yes. coming. So I expect a little bump in, in seller finance, but there's also a cap on the other end, usury laws oh. and things like that. Okay. So it won't squeeze, you know, you're not going to see them uh, up uh, way, way high. But gosh, you go back to the Carter administration and and. Getting a bank loan was at 18%, 18%, a bank loan. You know, so it's crazy that it got that high. But seller financing, sure, I'm going to have a higher interest rate. But at the end of the day, what you'll find is that the monthly payment, even at, let's say, an 8 or 9% interest rate, is going to be much less than rent. And you own a home, you know, and you get the tax benefits of, of doing all of that. So, yes, my interest rates, if I'm selling the house, to you or somebody else is going to be higher, probably eight, nine percent. But when you look at the end of the, the day, here's what your monthly payment is versus your alternatives. It's a great way to go. And guess what? You can refinance anytime you want. That's so true. a lot of people that I get in the house, you know, they they put a smaller down payment, they get a loan, and their goal is in two years, we'll refinance. You know, so it's a great way. You know, if, if you're a young couple or a first time home buyer or anything like that listening to this, it's a great alternative to start because I can get creative like that. I could do a lease option saying, you know, lease it for a year and then I'll credit you money on the option side, right, uh, towards the down payment and then I'll finance it for you. Great way to get into a house, build equity in that house, sell the house, move on to your, your next one. Um, but And you'll find your payments are going to be much lower than, than rent. I think there's a lot of misconception for the sellers that they have to hold that note for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And so kind of what we spoke about earlier, I was under the impression that I thought you needed to season it for a year or two years and then sell it to a bank or, mm -hmm. you know, the note programs that you offer. Right. Um, how does that, how would you make sure that someone Yeah, the note industry, which is really the <clears throat> financial side of real estate. It's the opposite side of the same coin. You have right. real property and then you have the finance side. We're on the finance side. Banks are on the finance side. We're the bank on our side, on the seller finance side. And the market over the 30 years that I've been in it has really changed. It, it's grown, uh, grown from a niche to an entire industry Industry. that it's always been. It's just been, been um, brought to light, mm -hmm. I guess, uh, as I'd like to say. So the liquidity in the market is much greater. Now, when you buy a note or you create a note you're going to carry, either way, you could keep it for 20, 30 years. But the fact is, most people don't stay in their homes for 20, 30 years, as you know. So you'll probably end up being cashed out because they sell the property or they refinance, as, as we just talked about. So for that reason, you typically don't have in 20, 30 years anyway. But you could buy a 30-year note and keep it for a year and say, you know what? I'm going to sell this note on the open market. 
And today we have trading platforms. We have a ways that people can reach out to the market and sell that note within 30 days. You know, so it's a very, very liquid market. Mm-hmm. And a cool thing, which I know we don't have time to get into, but you've read about it in my mm-hmm. book, is because these, these um, notes represent long-term monthly income streams, I don't have to sell the whole note. I might just want to sell part of my note. You know, uh, I'll sell the next 60 payments to somebody now, and then after 60 months, I get the payments back, which is pretty cool. You know, because there's a way, think about it this way. When you buy real estate, if you're a flipper, if you're somebody who's buying real estate, selling it, you know, flipping it, fixing it up, whatever, you make your profit one time. When I own a note, I could sell that same note multiple times over a period of time, you know, which, which is pretty interesting. So yes, it's a liquid market uh, that people have. And that's also, to get back to your, your point on when I'm seller financing for somebody, you know, my goal might be, well, I'm a homeowner. I, you know, I want to sell my home and I'll do it with financing, but I need cash now. You know, I can't, $800 a month, $600 a month is fine, but I need some money now. This is where the creative part comes in. Um, Because one of the things I talk about in my book is maybe create two notes. One that you're going to sell, one that you're going to keep, two-note solution. Mm -hmm. That's a little advanced for a short video. I remember that now. But the other one is you could sell or finance the note, create the note, and then already have another investor who's going to buy a part of that note at the same closing. So think about that. You would let the people come in, put 5% down. You create this note. You already have an agreement with another investor like myself that says, I'll buy the next five years worth of payments for whatever. I'm just going to pull a number of 30 grand right now. Boom. You got your down payment. You got $30,000 at the sale. And then in in however many months I, I bought uh, five years, I think I said, after five years, you start getting this passive income stream. And it's all secured by the property. So I that sell. solves that problem right. of, well, I want to, yeah, seller finance is great, but monthly payments, well, what people don't know is you don't have to wait on the monthly payments if you don't want. You can go ahead and sell part of that part of that note. That's and great is that the same get. thing as having a, so you just have two notes, so it's not two mortgages, well, or you're like first position, second position? It, you could do it a couple of different ways, okay. and it depends on the numbers, right? So <laughs> I could create one note and just sell a partial of it. Just okay. sell five years, three years, five, seven years, whatever it is, to get the lump sum that I need right. at the closing. Okay. Or a couple of months after the closing, either way. Or depending upon, again, the numbers, you might create a first note and a second note. So if I'm if, if we're doing a seller finance deal, and let's say you have a small down payment and I plan on selling a note. Well, I know because of a small down payment, I'd probably take a bigger discount if I go to sell that note because there's not a whole lot of equity that you have in the property. Your equity is basically your down payment at this point. So <laughs> what I might do is say, well, it's a $100,000 sale. You're putting $5,000 down. So we have a $95,000 note. If I sell that on the market, um, I'm going to take a big discount. How about this? How about I create a $70,000 first mortgage and then a, a $25,000 second mortgage? Okay. That's $95,000. I'm going to keep the second note and maybe sell the first note. Got it. So maybe I get sixty grand for that, that $70,000 note plus your down payment. You know, you're five. So I get $65,000 and... I get start getting monthly payments on this second loan from the first month. And who typically closes this? Can you go to a regular title company or do you need to go to an attorney? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. And again, this is where that intimidation factor comes right, in, right? Everybody's right. like, oh gosh, how, how do we do all that? I've probably done, I say I with my, my clients and I, uh, in the last two months, we've probably done, I don't know, 10 or 11 deals, no title company, no attorney at all. 
because it's all in the paperwork, which is all templates today. Now, again, for some people, it's not comfortable to do that. And I get that. And I've told some clients, you know, use a title company, any title company, no special title company, no special attorney, any attorney, any title company should do it. Yes, uh, there, there are certain times I've had to educate attorneys and title companies, <laughs> but it's, it's not hard because it's the same documentation. It's a note, it's a mortgage, it's a deed. And that's traditional real estate, same thing. So they're dealing with the same paperwork is really all it is. Do you provide, um, what if it was a clouded title or do you provide something? Yeah, okay. so, so far we've been talking about uh, the homes being free and clear, meaning there right. is no debt on it. Okay, well, I have a $100,000 home and I still owe 40,000 on it. It's not free and clear. Right. Okay, so then we have to structure things uh, like wraparound mortgages okay. or buying it uh, or doing something subject to and then setting up a, a wraparound mortgage. Now that gets a little more detail and we might lose some of it if we get into uh, <sighs> too, too much detail on that. But again, it, it's just a way, this is where the creativity comes in. It says, okay, we have existing debt. How much? Because seller financing with existing debt will not work on all properties. Okay. But it will work on ones that have some equity. And we have a lot of people that have a lot of equity in property right now. Right. So for example, what would happen is if it's, I'll just use simple numbers for everybody. If we've got a um, $100,000 loan and the property's worth now 180. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's a $100,000 loan on that and they want to sell it with seller financing to somebody. And by the way, seller financing, you sell quicker, more buying opportunities. I mean, when you open that up from traditional financing, more people qualify I instantly. Agree. Right. So you're opening up that opportunity. You're letting people know you're going to sell or finance. And I'm sure you've talked about putting signs out, marketing, all those sorts of things. Great. But you still have that $100,000 debt on there. When you create a note, you're going to create a wraparound note. The note wraps around that $100,000 note. And you've got to create it in a way that if you are going to sell the note, there's got to be enough in that sale to pay off the underlying loan. That's all. That's the key. So if it's a $180,000 property and there's only $50,000 left on debt, mm-hmm. obviously there's more creativity in there. So the less equity you have, the more difficult it is to create a seller finance note to sell. Now, if it's a $180,000 house and, and uh, we owe a uh, uh, $100,000 and I, I create a $170,000 loan with you, I don't have to sell that note perhaps. And that's totally fine because what's going to happen is you're making the payment to me on the $170,000 note. I still owe on the $100,000. So I'm taking your payment and keeping what's left after I pay my loan. Right. And you have to pay off that hundred. Oh, Sat- not, you just not pay it off, but you have to satisfy that mortgage that was on there. Is that correct? Well, what or? you have to do. So <laughs> if I'm doing it in, in a way where I still have that underlying loan, You would be buying my property, uh, what they call on a wraparound loan. So I'm going to finance it for you. So you're going to give me $10,000 down. I'm going to finance $170,000. I'm still working with the $180,000 property here for some reason. (laughs) So $180,000 property, you're giving me $10,000. I'm going to create a $170,000 loan. Now, I'm going to disclose to you that there's still a $100,000 debt that I owe on this this property. okay? Okay. So you're buying it. Uh, on a a wraparound, fully disclosed. So you're going to make payments to me on the $170,000 loan. Now, again, seller financing. So you're going to be paying seven, eight, 9% interest on that, where I might've got this loan uh, five years ago Mm -hmm. at 2%. Okay. 
right? So whatever your payment is on that $170,000 loan, let's say it's about $800 a month should, should work pretty well. So you're paying me $800 a month. My obligation might be two, uh, might be $600 a month. Okay. So 800 comes line. in and I can run that through an escrow company, which you would prefer, by the way, um, <laughs> I would. <laughs> to make sure I make that payment, right? right you don't want yes. me keeping the 800 and not paying the 600 that I know. Right. So we would structure that through a, an equity, a, a trust company. Okay. Um, title companies can do that. Escrow companies, attorneys can do that. 800 comes in, they send 600 automatically from that third party okay. to pay the $100,000 loan. And then I keep, they send me the, the other 200. Mailbox money. Yeah. And do it mm -hmm. and do it that way. Now, since you have that $100,000, if you wanted to go buy another house as a seller, how would that look on your, you know, underwriting or, you know, the back end? Oh, well, I guess you have a, um, a note in place so it would cover it mm -hmm. and it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Because what I have you, on the asset side okay. is $170,000 note. That Got you're it. obligated to pay so back by the $180,000 property. Got it. Okay. On the debt side, I have $100,000 debt obligation. Got it. So it works like any other, yeah, transaction. Got it. Got it. So, so it's almost not, like you're yeah, the, uh, landlord. So it covers it on the underwriting pro, uh, you know, underwriting when you go to get another loan for yourself as a seller. Yeah. Because actually, what I what I have is a net $200 a month income Got stream it. from from that arrangement. So people shouldn't have to be worried at all. Yeah, it's, you know, and, and all of this is really, it's it's stuff we're not taught in school. You know, it's stuff we're not taught no. even in real estate. I'm sure you have a lot of real estate agents watching watching this have series. have no idea. You're not trained as a real estate agent in all of this. You're, you're just not, look, I have my license for many, many years. It's on pause right now, whatever mm. they call that, uh, voluntary. Inactive. Uh, inactive. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got, I've got that, but I've had my real estate and real estate brokerage license for years. And I, you're never taught any any of that. And uh, gosh, I remember way back when getting my getting my license, uh, and you go to the class and do all that. And the guy made us all stand up and introduce ourselves. And at the time, I was on TV all the time and everything else, and known as you know in, in the note business. And so I was sheepishly kind of like, well, you know, this is what I do. And, and the, the instructor immediately, you could see his eyes light up. He goes, "I love that." He goes, "I have a house that I have sold eight times on a note." And people end up defaulting. I let them off the hook. I get the property back. I resell it to, to somebody else on, on the note. He all the say he was in love with me because the note business. But he was the only person, the instructor, that understood what I was talking about. So it's something that is not taught even at that professional level. I agree. And my 11 years, I found out about it through Ben, mm -hmm. uh, REOs. And I was like, what's a note? How does that even work? <laughs> and then I flew to California and I was like, let me go to this note conference where I met you. Right. And I was like, wow, this is genius. Yeah. It opens up. No a one whole, tells you. Exactly. It just opens up a whole new world. So what we're doing is not anything. Look, raps have been around buying property subject to seller financing has been around forever. It's nothing new, but it's new to you, you know, right. and that, that's the, the thing. Uh, but there are definitely some more creative ways to do it. Um, and it, the other thing about seller financing, by the way, is historically, it always fills the void when people can't get bank financing. So right now, for example, on the investor side of things, for those who might be investors, affordable housing is a huge issue in the United States right now. And affordable housing is just prime for seller financing because a lot of banks do not do those type of loans because banks have a limit 
on how much they will lend. Now, if you go to Bank of America's website, I think their their loans right now, it has to be at least $70,000. Now, depending upon where you are listening to this, that might sound mm-hmm. you know, like a crazy, you can't buy a house for $70,000. Let me Not tell you Florida. something. In vast um, <laughs> parts of the United States, a $70,000 home, I could show you a slew of them because we buy notes on them on a daily basis that are good working class neighborhoods considered affordable housing. And that's where creative financing flourishes because the banks are not there. You know, they have minimums. And I don't want to get too too far down a rabbit hole here, but there are more non-banks doing loans than banks. And it's been that way for years. The biggest lending companies are not banks when it comes to mortgages anymore. It has been. I mean, Rocket Mortgage is not a bank. Right. It is a non-bank. And there are certain laws and things like that where if banks are lending in the area, they have to lend across the board, including money that is dog-eared for affordable housing. Banks are not in those areas anymore because they can't make money on those loans because right. of the Dodd-Frank Act. I'm getting too deep. Uh, but <laughs> the, uh, the point being that you have these non-banks that simply can, by law, choose not to lend on certain type of loans, which a lot of times, unfortunately, is affordable housing. So seller financing fills that void. And now when it's more difficult for people to get loans, we're seeing seller financing start to. I, that's exactly why I would like, you know, had you here today. Um, what is the correct way to season a loan? You know, if I did the seller financing, I don't want to just throw the money in my bank account. Sure. Seasoning, uh, first of all, is a term that we use in the industry. Every, every industry has Mm -hmm. their own terms, right? You know, to make it sound more, (laughs) it's more (laughs) difficult than it is. Seasoning just means this. It just means payment history. Right. You know, uh, if a note only has two payments made on it, very light seasoning. Mm -hmm. If a note, somebody's been making a payment on a loan for 10 years, you got unbelievable seasoning, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Five years, uh, great seasoning. Uh, We consider a professional, someone like myself in the industry, I just need to see maybe six months of seasoning. And sometimes seasoning doesn't even matter to me. But again, that's getting too far. But the point being, seasoning is just that payment history. Seasoning is really never important unless you're looking to sell the loan. See, if you're just going to sell your home with seller financing and you have you go, hey, I'd rather get monthly payments. I don't want to pay capital gains taxes. I don't want to do all that. I'll just pay taxes as the income comes in. And it's backed by the house that I know very well. So fantastic. I inherited this house. I don't want to pay taxes on it. I'll sell or finance it somebody. I'm getting monthly payments. I only pay it like an income tax. Great. I don't want to sell that loan. Then you don't care about seasoning. You know, you're just going to collect that payment. Now, if you're going in going, I need to sell this home, but I need to sell it quick. I want to open up the opportunity to more people. Once again, that's where seller financing comes in. Offer it to seller financing, your market broadens, right? More people can mm-hmm. buy. But you're going, yeah, but I need cash at the table. Yeah, I need. That's where the creative part comes in where you go, okay, create that note, then season it a little bit. Because when, when a note investor, someone like myself is looking to buy a note, one of the criteria we want to see is, well, can they afford the payment? Well, if somebody's making payments for 12 months, okay. Versus if, uh, let me put it this way. Let's say there's two notes somebody proposes to me. Uh, They're identical. Perfect world. They're absolutely identical. One has been paying for 12 months. One has been paying for one month. Same price, same everything. Which one am I going to buy? 12 months. 12 months, of course. I mean, everybody would do that. So if you're going in with the intent of creating a note to sell later on, which you should always do, by the way, then the seasoning will become important. And do you put it in your bank account or do you create another real estate uh, account? So then when you give it to the underwriter, it's super clean and clear. 
For a lot of people, and, and I, I'm assuming most of your, your listeners and uh, viewers on this, they might do this one time. You know, they have one house <laughs> that they have or one house they inherited, whatever it is, and they sell it with seller financing. They've watched your podcast. They go, great, I get it. I'm going to do this. Uh, I don't need, you know, uh, extra help on this. Great. They can structure that, that one deal. They don't need to form a company. They don't need a license. They don't need any of that. They sell their house with financing and carry the note. They're going to have a note. They're going to have a mortgage. They're going to record the mortgage, right? And then they can self-service it. They just collect the monthly payment. So if they structure it, like send me a check, fine. Uh, they want to set up something with their bank where they can auto-debit it, fine. I've bought notes where people are making their payments through PayPal. Okay. Through Venmo, through Cash so it doesn't yeah, it doesn't matter. So okay. how they structure it is completely you know completely up to them. Um, if somebody on the other side is 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 buying a note that's already been created, they can do that through their IRAs and four hundred one k. So maybe the money goes there instead. Mm. You know, so there's a, a several alternatives. So you don't have to get very fancy. Oh, I got to form a company. I got to form a trust. I got to look in license. You don't have to do any of that because a strange thing about Notes and mortgages, notes are considered personal property, okay. not real property. That's why if you go and look online for the courthouse, you can look up mortgages. They're, they're just another lien. You can look up judgments. You can look up all that stuff. What you're not going to find are notes. Mm. Why aren't notes there? Because notes are considered personal property. The only thing in real property records is real property records. The mortgage, the security agreement, that's the one that burdens the property and references that, that note. So if you have an expensive painting and you want to sell that painting to somebody and you're going to finance it, do you need a license to do that? Right, no, no, it's personal property. Mm -hmm. right? So think of it along those lines. And when you're selling your, your own home, you don't, sale, need to, right. you don't need to muddy the water on that. Mm -hmm. It's like you, Mr. Smith, pay me, Mr. Jones, every single month, and, and that's it. Right, right. I just want to make sure that the for sale by owner or whoever's creating this does it the right way so it makes it super clean uh, to sell it. Now, you said self-servicing. I know that there are companies out there that will service it for you. Do you think that's an easier process and worth the money? Uh, yes and no. Okay. If you're setting up a seller finance note where – uh, you're just collecting principal and interest because that's what you do on these these type of of loans. Um, you don't need if it's just a one deal that you're doing. You don't need a servicing company to get involved because all the servicing company is going to do is collect the payment and account for it. Charge the fee and charge you a fee <laughs> yes, to do that, yes. right? So if you want to pay somebody thirty dollars a month to collect the payment and go, yeah, we received it on this date and I'll mark it down, <laughs> you can do that. Don't you don't need to do that if you're tying in escrow. Okay. That's a difference. So for most people, your monthly mortgage payment, they call it PITI in the industry, principal interest taxes and insurance. So the taxes and insurance portion makes it tricky. And in a case like that, I'm definitely going to recommend that you have a third party service that because that is not your money. So if the person's principal and interest is $600 a month, but with taxes and insurance, it's $825 uh, per month as their monthly payment, that extra money above the $600 is not yours. You can't just willy-nilly spend that and say, oh, I'll pay their taxes at the end of the year. You can't do that. Right. And that's where people can, can get into some trouble. Some, so in that right. case, you have a third-party servicing company that might charge $15 to $30 a month. They collect the full monthly payment, PITI, 850 in my example, they hold the escrow portion and send the 600 to you less their fee. 
And that's a much better way to do it. But hey, nothing wrong if somebody goes, yeah, but I don't want to collect the payments and I'm traveling now. I do this and I'd rather, great, just have a servicing company do it. They'll charge you 15 bucks a month if it's not escrowed. It's not very much. Is there, are there any fees to creating this note? Um, kind of like with the title company, we, you have to pay a title company fee when you close it. Is there uh, someone, you know, I know you said there's <laughs> templates, but uh, can you, do you go to someone and they might charge you a fee or how does that work? You could do it any way you want. <laughs> so Creative financing, I get <laughs> let it. Me it. Let me do it this way. If Again, if I'm selling you a house uh, right now, I could take out of my, much much like you in your briefcase, you have a far more contract somewhere, right? You I have do. A, you have a listing contract. You, you have blank. all the contracts with you at, at all it, yeah. points in time, right? So I take out of my, my briefcase a note and a mortgage. Okay. And I could fill it out right here with you and you sign it and I sign the deed over to you. Okay. We're done. No, it doesn't I don't have to need be notarized or anything. Or? Well, yeah, we do have to okay. get, a, so we'll have a note. They have mobile notaries, right? right? So we can have a mobile notary over here. The note's not notarized, but all the all the other stuff is, the deed okay. and the mortgage, which are going to be recorded. Those are going to be notarized. So that's really all we need is, is a notary. Okay. And get the, we can sign those documents. We're done. It's, it's closed. Because when you think about it, at a traditional a real estate transaction, which I'm assuming most of your viewers, if you own your own home, you're used to going to a closing and just signing document after document after document after document that, that you're you not reading, read. that you're not reading, of course. <laughs> um, you know, they're just kind of babbling on like, here's this and here's that and here's the other. And you're just kind of signing along. In our transaction, it comes down to the grassroots. You're promising to pay and you're securitizing. That, that's all the closing ultimately comes down to. All that other stuff you do at a traditional closing is because the bank insists on that. Okay. Now we could uh, go ahead and get title insurance for that closing. We could formalize it, but do I need a title company to get title insurance? No, I just call it title insurance. Company. Mm. Um, we are going to make sure that the property's insured. Okay. Right. Um, so there's those other little items, but technically that closing is done. After that closing, I'm going to go down to the courthouse or I'm going to mail to the courthouse or now you can do it online. I'll record that security agreement and the deed, right? You're going to want to make sure that the deed has been transferred. Right. And once that's done, it's, it's done. We just don't need all. Now, if we feel more comfortable, you know, we don't know each other. You know, you're, I'm selling a house. You're buying a house. You saw it advertised somewhere. You saw my sign in the yard. We don't know each other. You might feel more comfortable going, hey, you know what? I really want to close this. Because you've probably never, you know, bought a house or seller. I've just, you know, right, you no, personally, I'm just I've using never. you. So, uh, you know, That's it's like why so, I contact you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So it's like, all right. Well, we could do it at an attorney's office, sure. Now, I would probably now this is the investor side probably of me going. Well, you'll pay for that because you want to do it that way. But you know, closing costs in a regular. Don't we do that same thing in closing costs? The seller pays this, the buyer pays that. But mm -hmm. that's not written in stone, right? It's all right. negotiable. Who pays? For what? So we could do it at an attorney's office. We could do it at a title company. You could charge a lending fee or no? Because you are the bank. I could I charge mean. you on origination. I could charge you points. Okay. I could charge you points. Um, I could. But you I probably could even, don't just What I might do too is, uh, um, and, and I'm glad you brought that up. What I, what I would do myself, and I would say to your, your, your listeners and viewers as well, if it's that scenario, we don't know each other, which is going to be the vast majority of cases. I want to qualify you. I don't know how to do it. Do I have to run your credit? Do I have to do? Well, there's a company that there's a couple of them that do all that underwriting. It costs 
500 bucks nationwide. That's all it costs, 500 bucks. And I would pass that cost to you because you want to buy my house. Great. I have to qualify you. So the underwriter will verify your income. They'll look at taxes. They'll do, do all of that to make sure that you have the ability to make those payments. And that's really it. So if we, yeah, if we, if we're going to do this very formally, I would start with that. And let's say you qualify. Great. Then we'll decide between us. Do you want to do it just you and I, or do you want to involve an attorney or title company? And we'll make an agreement on that. Personally, I don't care either way because my thought is, well, if you want that, then, you know, you can, you can pay for that as well. Or maybe we'll split the cost because I do want to sell my house, right. you know? So whatever it is, we'll, we'll work that out and get the thing closed. Once it's closed, if we do use a title company, they'll do all the recording. So we don't have to, you know, do right. that. And we're done. Great, great. Yeah. Well, Kevin, I was super excited to interview you today. As you know, I wanted your knowledge uh, years ago. And I think that sellers need to understand what they can do and how they can do this creative financing. Do not contact me. Contact Kevin. <laughs> He's the expert. I do pride myself on finding people who are in the industry and know what they're doing. So right. is there anything else that you'd like to tell the uh, viewers before we leave? It's no, I would just simply say this. Educate yourself a little bit before you try to do this because it is new. Anytime something is new, it looks uh, in intimidating. You kind of stumble through some uh, some things. Uh, so get some information. And if you want to start very simple, again, I would just reference you to my, my book. It's, it's $20 on Amazon, you know, and, and it, it really is, is detailed. It lays it out, I think, very, very well for you. And I think it'll open your eyes and uh, you might just find another way where you could think of all the money that you'll save if you do it that way. And make. And make <laughs> at the, at the, uh, at the end of the day. So that's yeah. all. Well, thank you so much for coming. I no, appreciate it. Anytime. We hope that we inspired you to listen to our podcast. We're going to go over things like communication with buyers, what contracts are out there that you can actually accept, how to hit the market correctly with getting you the best exposure with the most money, and most importantly, how to save commission without using an agent. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode.